0: In the church. The second part of it is going to deal with the will of God. We'll, we'll get to the will of God probably in a couple of weeks, but we're still in the first part of James, the fourth chapter. He's addressing conflict in the church, and we've looked at, he brought about the cause and then the um, characteristics and the condemnation, and we're in the cure. We're at that part where James is giving. them to cure and remember most of these are first generation christians they came out of paganism so this gospel is brand new it it had it had not even penetrated society like ours is regardless of what um even if you're an atheist you were raised in america the gospel has been preached here for some 300 years i mean since before we were a country the gospel's been preached And it's affected everything. You know, it's affected the laws. It's affected society. These people are coming out of paganism one-on-one. So this is really fresh. So sometimes we read it and we're thinking, boy, James, either these people were really a mess or you're really super hard, but you've got to realize he's like a missionary in a foreign land that never heard the gospel. And he's really trying to bring this out, these points that he's making. So again, um, we want to finish this first part where James gives the cure conflict, and he tells them the cure is the grace of God. The cure is the grace of God. There's fights, there's squabbles. people are selfishly running after things, people are not acting like believers, it's bringing division and friction and fighting among the family of God. And he says the answer is the, the, the grace of God. The answer to overcoming the world is the grace of God. The answer to overcoming this old nature is the grace of God. The answer to defeating the devil is the grace of God. And we've said to ourselves, well, God's grace is sufficient. God's grace is adequate. God's grace is available. I've got to learn how to tap into that grace of God. Amen? It's not just the grace is there. I've got to be able to apply it to my life and allow it to flow in my life. And really, that's what he's doing here. He's just going line upon line. He's dealing with things. We might look at them and say, boy, James, you're you're being a little harsh here. But we always have to always remember the context the author is speaking in. He just said, you guys are killing one another. You're fighting with one another. You're divided. I mean, things are terrible, embarrassing. So he's got to be strong to bring some proper correction. You know, he's not dealing to um, people that are doing well. They're not doing well, if, you read, if we read the first three verses. And so he's dealing with some things here. But we want to walk in the Spirit and overcome these things. Amen? We want to tap into the grace of God. So James is helping us with that. And we start out with verse Number 6, verse number 6, James 4. But God gives us more grace. That's the answer. God's got grace. For whatever your situation is, it could be a struggle with your old nature. God's got grace so you can overcome it and walk in the Spirit. Amen? It it might be the world that's trying to influence you and, and, and harass you. God's got grace so you can overcome this world. You can be in it but not of it and live an abundant life. Amen? Maybe that devil's attacking. Guess what? He's got grace. You can resist the devil, and he'll flee from your life. There's grace. I want to learn how to tap into it. And I want to learn how to position myself so that grace will flow. Amen? That you can be in a position where it doesn't flow. It's not going to flow uphill. It's going to flow. Amen. We had a friend of ours, a dear friend. He was my age, and we were all starting out. But, of course, he was a brilliant engineer. And um, he was a single guy, so whenever we had a problem, the parsonage, I called him over because he always loved a free Italian meal. You know, Christina cooked for him, and he'd fix what needs to be fixed, and while he did it, we'd talk about the things of God, and um, he would, you know, he'd fix whatever, you, He's naming. name it, he could fix it. Again, he's electrical engineer, he's got his own company. But he'd always start giving me um, engineering lingo. Every now and again, I'd say, Jeff, bring it down to my level, buddy. Bring it down to my level. But I learned a lot. He goes, he said, Joe, it's always going to take the path of least resistance. This is not a good conductor. That's a better conductor. A lot of these things in the natural flow right with that, spiritual, you see. And, and you know, you, you want water to flow. You don't try to build the thing uphill. You break it down. Amen. I want grace to flow. I got I to gotta get in line, and I, gotta, I can't be. And this is what James is trying to help these young believers learn. Not just that grace is out there and it's available, but this is how you make it flow in your life. This is how you make it flow in your home. Oh, praise the Lord. So again, but he gives us more grace. That's why the scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Amen. I don't want God opposing me. I need, the, I need God's help. I need his grace. Verse 7, Submit yourselves then to God. Submit yourselves. The first thing James says, relinquish control of your life. Come under the yoke of Jesus. Amen? Surrender your life. You want grace to flow? Surrender. Give your life to Christ. Do things His way. Relinquish control, right? Submit yourself to God. But then secondly, you submit to God, but don't you dare submit to that devil. You resist that devil. You stand against him. Amen? Resist the devil, and what a wonderful promise. He will flee from you. Don't got to call the bishop. Don't got to call the presbyter. If you're a child of God, you can take your stand. Amen. Put on that armor and you can run them off. But grace, grace flows. How how did we say it? Um, It's it's the obedience of faith that releases the working of grace. Faith obeys the word. Faith believes the word. And as we obey, grace is released to work in our lives. And so then we got um, resist the devil. That's it. We're going to resist him. But then secondly, he goes on. He says, come near to God, and God will come near to you. Relinquish control. Resist the devil. Restore worship. They, these people were bickering and fighting, and they were very selfish. He goes, you know what? Forget that. That's bringing division between you and God, between you and God. Draw near to God. And what a beautiful promise. God says, if you'll draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful to know every time we come, there's an expectation. God promised he'll meet with us. Every time you get alone to do your devotions in the morning in your home and open up your Bible, God says, I'll speak to your heart. Isn't that wonderful? You don't got to work it up. You don't got to, you know, I mean, I like emotions. That's the next person, but we don't need that. We got a promise. God says, if you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. You want some more grace? Keep drawing near. Pursue his presence. Practice his presence. Oh, yes. Restore worship. And then last time we got renounced because now these next two, if you take a look at verse, verse 8, the two that follow draw near have, are connected to it. I don't want to separate these two. We joked about that. Sometimes people um, will, will quote one part of a verse and they forget the other part. You know, Hang on there. There's more to that verse. All right, read the whole thing. Get the whole, get the whole thing there. So here's draw near to God and he will draw near to you. But listen, when you draw near to God, make sure, wash your hands and purify your heart. Make sure my actions are right. Make sure the attitude of my heart is right. Right, My hands are my actions. My heart is my attitudes. Purify that heart. And that's where we're going to stop. We, we finished last time with renounce sinful actions. And, and we said, I, I want to I, I do what's right in the eyes of the Lord. I want to make sure. But here, number five is reject sinful attitudes reject sinful attitudes and that's where it is purify our hearts if we want an abundance of grace we gotta have pure hearts amen you know you notice something about the teaching of jesus if you want to go like to the beatitude sermon on the mount how jesus really dealt with that heart didn't he moses said unto you if you commit adultery but i say unto you if you got it in your heart and you're lusting moses said unto you if you if you you kill your brother uh, i say unto you if you're angry and you shouldn't be jesus he's tough these people that got jesus as something weak they haven't read anything he said because that thing you need that new birth just to walk with this amen that natural man and the sermon on the mount how much he's getting to the heart right because you know Obviously, those that are lost, we can look and say their actions are just wicked and sinful. And that's how most of our actions were when we didn't know God. But then, you know, there's a whole other group that are very religious. And Jesus dealt with them more than the most because the the Jewish culture was. It was not a a heathen culture. It was God's people. They had God's law. They're very religious outwardly. But he saw their hearts. So even after I get everything together, on the outward. I'm not drinking, smoking, hanging with those that do and all that. Amen. I'm not doing this and that. But God says, yeah, yeah, but you still got anger in your heart against your brother. You're still gossiping about your sister. You say, you still got, God looks at my heart. God says, you want to get real close with me? I'm the God that searches the hearts. You got to make sure you purify that heart. How many you know that that's a daily job? Amen. That's a continual, that's a continual. So reject sinful attitudes. Don't be double-minded in our devotion to God. Let's not try to walk both sides of the fence, spiritual when it suits us, worldly when it suits us. But this emphasized, the pure in heart, that word purity. What's that medical thing, catharsis? What's that word when you cleanse something? What's that called? When Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, the Greek word for pure comes from that word. And it means to purify, to purify. So when we look at the pure of heart, we're looking really at two things. One is the moral purity of my heart, but other is the singleness of focus of my heart. Don't be double-minded. Amen, you can't serve two gods. My heart can't be, you know, I'm lusting for the world, you know, Friday through Saturday, and then I try, no, 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 no. Let's look at a couple of verses here. Matthew 5 and 8. Matthew 5 and 8. Jesus says, I need a pure heart. Amen. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Wow. The pure in heart. And again, it's pure. Morally, it's pure. Alright. I'm not lusting. I'm not I'm not lying. I, I'm not I know I'm not, you know, putting my arm around you into my heart saying, I can't stand my No, 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 but it's pure as far as morally pure, but it's also pure as far, it's, it's not divided. It's an undivided heart. When I came to Christ, that was it. Jesus, I belong to you. Amen? So so that word can be, it looks, it's both ways. It, there's two different definitions here. But what a beautiful thought. Blessed, there's a blessing that comes when we live, have a pure heart. We can see God. Not only that day. Thank God for that day. But this day. This is not just, You know, the word see can mean physical see, but also see can mean an understanding. Amen. Oh, now I see. Oh, the way you explained it. Now I see. And so the pure in heart really understand God. They they can walk with God. They can understand the ways of this God. They can get revelation from this God. Amen. That's why the pure in heart, the pure in heart. And James is saying, listen, if you really want to learn and practice the presence of God and draw near to God and have God draw near to you, you've got to not only wash your hands and make sure your actions outwardly are okay in line, but you've got to purify your hearts. Let a man examine himself. Create in me a clean heart. I want to make sure there's a purity in my heart. Again, integrity of heart, undivided heart, clean heart, unmixed heart. A lot of times when people start getting their heart cluttered, that's the first step to backsliding. When their affections start going, when there's little... If you would, now Psalm 19 and verse 14. Psalm 19 and verse 14. (sighs) The words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. And, and the language here, be acceptable. It's the language of may my sacrifice as the priest, the sacrifice I'm bringing to the altar be, be acceptable. Because you don't, I'm not accepted if the, if the sacrifice isn't accepted. Amen? In the Old Testament, I got to bring a sacrifice. I can't bring something lame. I can't bring the wrong thing. I've got to bring the right thing. It's got to be proper. They inspected it, right? The priest would, you know, and and then I have to burn it the proper way or give it over the proper way because that's my substitute. And if the sacrifice doesn't get accepted, the sacrificer doesn't get accepted. That's why we, we can never approach God with ourselves. We always approach through Jesus. That's why none of us could save ourselves because our sacrifice was not pure, was not, we weren't worthy. But Jesus was our, he was our sacrifice and the Father accepted his sacrifice. So we we see that. And so this is kind of it. He's saying, may may my lips and my life, my thoughts be pure and acceptable in your sight. What a prayer, not a good prayer. It's a prayer here. May the words of my mouth In the meditation of my heart, the words I speak, but also the thoughts and the motives and the attitudes, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Lord, when you examine them like the priest would examine that, Lord, let them be found proper and pure. Oh, Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. I want to draw near to God. I I, want to know greater measures of the presence of God. And, and I'm limited if I'm keeping things here that he's dealing with or my heart is impure or my ad, attitudes aren't right. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord. If you would look at uh, Jeremiah 4 in verse 4. Jeremiah 4 in verse 4. Hallelujah. Again, dealing with that heart. Very imp- If you can get the heart right, everything else is right. Isn't that true? It's all about the heart. All about the heart. Some people come in with more baggage than you could put on a a truck. Amen. But because their heart is right, just a matter of time, God's mercy just works it all out. Amen. But but, but others have every advantage and every opportunity, but the heart will never surrender. The heart will not come clean. So there's never a, a deliverance and a restoration. But here, Jeremiah, circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Uh, can, can I get can I get that in an NIV? Let me get that in the NIV. We'll simple it there. He's going to say, "Circumcise your hearts." You know what made the Jewish people different? They, they were circumcision. It was an outward sign of an inward covenant. But you know, he's saying, "You know what? Enough with the outward. Enough with the outward. Circumcise your hearts." Uh, enough with, um, I, I'm going to, you know, I'm just going to outwardly, you know, well, back home we bondo cars, right? You get bondo. Some have been bondoed to death, all right? Some Christian, people trying to bondo their lives. Forget bondo. You need a new heart and a new creation, amen? But it starts with the heart. It starts with the heart. we just patching this up, patching that up. Still is ornery, still is fearful, still is. But circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Circumcise your hearts, the prophet said. You got all the sacrifices and you got the temple and you got the ritual and you got all those things down pat. of the reason there's a problem, the reason God is grieved, the reason things aren't working out is because the heart hasn't been circumcised. He's saying, let God operate on the heart. That the heart become pure and submitted and surrounded. Then everything will flow. If you can get the heart, they're going to dress right. If you can get the heart, amen, isn't that right? Then they're going to show up. If you can get the heart. You're not going to have to beg them to serve. You can get the heart when Jesus becomes Lord and passion of one's heart and one's affections. Look out! And it's easy, isn't it? It's easy, isn't it, right? When He has the heart, He's got your appetites. Whew. She never had to beg me one time to come to dinner. Ah, here I am. Amen. Just rattle that plate, and I'm there. Amen. And if it's too late, <clears throat> I'm getting a hungry here. Amen. Never. You got an appetite. You're going for it. Isn't that right? When God has your heart, you, you'll make you'll get your life straight. You'll change your priorities when he has your heart. And once he has your heart, remember, you tap it into grace. Once that grace starts flowing, it's amazing. I was blessed today. I had a great talk with a, um, Reggie was kind enough. to Come out and help Dave fixing some leak here. And he brought a friend of his and the guy got to give me his testimony. And he was, he was blessing me. I mean, he had a physical testimony and blew my mind, but his spiritual testimony. He said, I grew up like most people around here. I grew up in church. You've got to be 15 years older than me or so. But I grew up in church, but I just, you know, then finally God got a hold of me. In the middle of my craziness, he got a hold of me, and I really gave my heart to God. And he said, Pastor, it's amazing what God did. I mean, you know, there was, you know, child care, all this stuff going on. You know, when you're middle of, and God, just turn my life around. And I said, you know, that's the whole thing. God is so full of mercy. That's why you just want to cry. Please respond to His mercy. You know, if you just do it His way, it's amazing how quick He can restore lives and revive lives and rebuild lives. It just takes a surrender of the heart to release. It's, all, you, it's all like giving God permission. To fix my life, amen. If you submit, he'll flow. Wow, he flows, it's an awesome thing, amen. That's it, yeah. Jeremiah says, Let's do some search around our hearts not just the outward, but the inward. The inward, one more there, Proverbs 21 and 2. Proverbs 21 and 2, hallelujah. We want to make sure our hearts are Create Creating me a clean heart, blessed are the pure in hearts, amen. Hallelujah. And this is so true. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. Oh, Lord. Ouch. Lord, help me. Amen. That heart's tricky. Jeremiah said that, too. Didn't he say the heart's tricky? It's deceitful. That heart's tricky. Who can know it? (laughs) Sometimes we can't even know our own hearts. We just got to get before the Lord. Say, Lord, purify my heart. Holy Spirit, you see, if you'll do your best to stay tender, you'll always be able to hear God ministering to you. It's when we grow callous and get spiritual wax in our ears that heaven can scream at us, and we'll just keep going over the cliff. But if we can say, Lord, keep, I'm going to stay tender before you, then we're sensitive. See, that's the key, sensitive. Then the Holy Spirit can prick us when we need to be pricked, see? Then the Lord can give us understanding when we need to see something that we've been blind to. But it starts with me. I want want to give him a heart, amen? I want to get a tender heart and a surrendered heart and a submitted heart to God. Oh, Lord. Reject sinful attitudes. And then the next one he goes to here, number six, react to sin with sorrow. And again, remember the context. Remember the context. Amen? Because if we get to the beginning of this chapter, he says, You're killing one another. You're fighting one another. Because you want to have your own way and you're going after desires and your own pleasures. And so they were a mess. They're splitting the church. I mean, they're, you know. And they're not even feeling guilty about it. That's how lost they were. So he says, You know what? Verse 9. Grieve. Mourn and wail, change, change your attitude. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Uh, you know, I've seen some people so, so messed up, uh, living, living like hell, they don't come often. I always know if they're mean business with God because living like they did coming to a holy place, if they're not running at that altar at the end of that message, I know they're just playing games and they won't return. They're not ready. They're not ready. React to sin with sorrow. It's a call to mourn over our sin. A passion of grieving that cannot be hidden. You see, sin is usually taken too lightly. And we should never be flipping about it. But I want to take ownership and don't just shrug it off. I want to seek God's forgiveness sincerely and quickly, confessing it and turning from it. And if I need to make amends, I want to do it. I need to remove from myself anything that grieves and quenches the Spirit. Because remember, a real relationship has real emotion in it, doesn't it? We always talk about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I mean, we sound more religious than, I would say the Catholics, but I won't say that, but someone might be listening. But anyway, um, we just, we sound, we, we, we point fingers at them for being religious. We got enough religion in Pentecost, Baptists, whatever you want to do. We got enough. We, we, we boast about this and that. We bow as religious as the next group. Amen. A personal relationship. And then you live like sin. Could you do that? Walk home and face your wife after that? We talk about having a personal relationship with Jesus. Then our hearts ought to get grieved and there ought to be some real emotion. when we blatantly sin against him and reject him and ignore him. Come on, say amen to that. Isn't that right? A real relationship has real emotion. You can look on the news and see something that's terrible. You don't spend all night crying over it. You have no relation. Let it happen to your family. My goodness, you'd be mourning and groaning and weeping. Isn't that true? Because there's a relationship there. There's a love there. When there's a real relationship with the Lord Jesus, a real love for the Lord Jesus, if I hurt him, I don't feel good about it. You never feel good when you hurt someone you love. Isn't that true? You never want to disappoint someone you love and someone you you. you, you, you want to honor them and bless them. You're thankful for them. You think of those closest to you in the natural, you're thankful for them. They're God's gift to you. You would never want to do anything that would hurt them. You feel bad if you disappoint them. Come on, say amen. And so as I'm walking with the Lord, if I have a real relationship with Jesus, then how can I have a flippant attitude just to disobey his word or just to ignore his offer of grace. You see, when you and I do sin, let's take care of it promptly and properly. Let's do our best to be tender and sensitive to God. Let's be sensitive to God's heart and never take it lightly or carelessly. Let's start out. Let's go back to Matthew. Matthew 5 and verse 4. Matthew 5 and verse 4. We want our, James is saying, listen, you want grace to flow, then react to your sin with sorrow. Because sin quenches and grieves and puts out the Spirit of God. Amen? The Bible says don't grieve the Spirit, don't grieve grace. Don't insult the Spirit of grace. And we want grace to flow. So I can't flow if I'm flipping about sin because sin quenches it. Sin grieves it. And, um, are you with me? This is Jesus. Now, blessed are those that mourn for they shall be comforted. They mourn over their sin. They mourn over the sin of the world that's without God. They mourn over the fact that God, this great God that we love so much, Jesus that we love so much, is ignored and mocked. Isn't that right? Isn't that right? Isn't that true? I mean, someone ever said something to you about your husband? Oh, my. Oh, my. It oh, all your heart. Someone treated your spouse in a certain way. Oh, your heart we love god we walk with the living god there, there's a proper mourning jesus looked us upon a city that he knew would reject him and crucify him. he wept he wept over the city amen the, 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 the more blessed are the they'll be comforted you know you're comforted when you mourn for your own sin because when you're comforted you can get forgiven amen And there's a great blessedness and comfort when you know your sins are forgiven. Amen. When you know he remembers them no more as far as the east is from the west. But that doesn't come unless you mourn. Unless you say, forgive me. I'm sorry. You see, but we also mourn. Because when you walk with God, you start to feel what God feels. Isn't that right? It grieves you. It grieves you. To see those that he died for, just ignore the gospel. To see so many just living crazy that haven't heard. And your heart goes out to them. This life doesn't have to be that bad, but when men live without God, we become animals. We do things that are terrible. There's so much hurt. It's one of the reasons we look forward to heaven. Of course we want to see Jesus. But I can't wait to get to a place where there's no more abortion. There's no more abuse. There's no more perversion. There's no more violence and vile. I can't wait to get to a place where there's no more hunger. No little children are going to go hungry. What a day that will be. And if you've got a heart that is touched by God's heart, that stuff has to grieve you. It grieves God. It grieves God. Blessed are they who mourn. Blessed are they who mourn. Mmm. Sensitive to God's heart and sensitive to God. I'm going to mourn over sin and despise it. My sin, society's sin, the church's sin. There's a mourning. And he's telling this church, listen, you can't just live this way and then call yourself a Christian. If you want grace to flow, you have to be quick to say, I'm sorry. I'll never forget that that great Baptist preacher, E.V. Hill. He's with the Lord now, but I never, I'm hearing him. Must have been on TV. He preached a message entitled, What Adam Never Said. What Adam Never Said. Adam never said, I'm sorry. Adam never said, I'm sorry. Instead, he covered it up. He shifted the blame. He ignored responsibility. And he hid from the Lord. But he never said, I'm sorry. What would have happened? He said, but you can say you're sorry. And you don't have to hot run. And you can have covering and you can have cleansing. Oh, nobody can preach it like Brother E. V. Hill. Go ahead, look with me. If you would go to Joel two, I want you to go to Joel two. I want you to this great chapter. It's so important. As we said earlier, God is so full of mercy. You want to scream to every backslide, every lost person. God is so full of mercy. Respond to it. He'll forgive you. He'll restore you. He'll mend you. Oh, he's a great God. But just surrender. Amen. Just come and give your life to him. Come and 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 the mercy of God. Oh, it's a healing mercy. It's a restoring mercy. Now, I want you to see this. This It's a beautiful thing here. Um, If you would, Joel, I believe I... Second chapter do we got? Yeah, second chapter. And start with um, start with verse, what do I got there? Is it 12? All right, let me find myself here. I know I got a sticker. I should have had a sticker here. There's my sticker. There you go. My sticker stuck. All right. Now, if you, I want you to see the context here. Because here's the part, James is saying, react to sin with sorrow. You want grace to flow? Then deal with sin seriously. Stay sensitive to God. When we do miss it, because we all miss it, confess your sin. He cleanses and forgives. Amen. Do it quickly. But, but notice something in Joel, like the Old Testament prophet calling people to sincere repentance. Verse, verse, verse 12. Even now, declares the Lord. Now, if, if I was to take you backwards to that 11th verse, he just got done saying, The Lord thunders. <laughs> The Old Testament's a thunder of God. The Lord thunders, and He's talking about great judgment coming to the people. Judgment's come; they deserved it. God had they'd worn out God's patience. But then, verse twelve: But even now, you can avoid the judgment. Even now, you can turn it around. Even now. You can receive God's mercy. And and he begins, but but he's talking about this is real repentance. Amen? This is not just a a ritual. This is not just an outward sham. Even now, verse 12 says, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. Get serious. Come sincere. Get serious with God. He'll get serious with you. With fasting, with weeping, with mourning. mean, Mean it. Mean it, right? You look at that, it says, tear your heart, not your garments. You know, the, the Jewish people were, were, were very demonstrative. You know, Middle Eastern people. And they would, sh- to show the outward of the heart, they'd rip the garment, you know, to show the other oh, anger and their angst. You know, that would, he said, hey, forget the outward. Tear your heart. Forget the show. You don't got show. We have got enough of show. Let's get some sincerity. This is the prophet. This is the prophet here. You see that verse 13? Rend your heart, not your garment, and return, and return, and change direction, and come back to God, and turn from the wrong way, and start going the right way. Glory. Rend your heart, not your garment. Return to the Lord, for He is gracious and compassionate. I mean the judgments at the door, and they've ignored Him for generations, yet God still says, there's a chance that you could avoid it. There's a chance if you'll return. Seriously. Turn from that and come to God. Rend your heart, not your garment. Because God is gracious and compassionate. He's slow to anger. Anybody glad he's slow to anger? True. Wouldn't be here today if he wasn't slow to anger. Amen? Slow to anger. Abounding in love. I like that. Abounding in love when he relents from sending calamity. Ezekiel said, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Some people have a false concept of the Old Testament, God of judgment and all that. But actually, there's more compassion in the Old Testament than, than you'd know if you hadn't studied it. He said, Ezekiel, through the word of the Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. God says, I don't want to judge. But they leave me no." rather that they turn, that they might be healed. You see, sometimes we think these Old Testament prophets, but we haven't read them enough to see the heart, the the pathos there. So again, again, look at this. He relents from sending calamity. Verse 14, who knows? He may turn and have pity and leave behind a blessing. Who knows? Who knows if you really tear your heart and get serious and sincere with repentance. Who knows God's heart might be touched, and when his heart's touched, his mercy flows. It restores and rebuilds. Who knows? He may turn that pity and leave behind a blessing. Grain offerings, drink offerings for the Lord our God. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the people. Consecrate the assembly. Bring together the families, the elders, the children, the, the little ones. Let the bridegroom leave the. I mean, if you're getting married, stop coming and get things right. Verse 17, make sure the preachers are in on this. They need to be leading the repentance. Let the priests who minister before the Lord between weep between the porch and the altar. Let there be a weeping. Let there be, a, Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, forgive me. I'm going to change. I'm going to return. You see, that's what he's getting here. Let, let them say, spare your people. We don't deserve it, but your God of mercy and your God of grace. Spare your people, O Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should others say, where is their God? And then he says, and now there's a break in the action now, okay? And we started out, judgment's at the door, but the prophet's still under the inspiration, said we can avoid the judgment. But it's going to take some serious repentance and a tearing of the heart, not the garment. Not a sham, not, a, not an outward, an inward reality and transformation. We can avoid the... And if we do that, after sincere repentance and confession, verse 18, then the Lord will be jealous for his land and take pity on his people. And the Lord will reply, I'm going to send you grain, and new wine and oil, Enough. on and on. Ah, ah, ah. Verse 20, I will drive the northern, I'll protect you, and I'll heal you, and I'll restore you. And this is where, you know, I know some of you remember the scripture, and I'll restore the years the locusts have eaten. That's the context of it. He said, I am such a good God that if you'll just repent sincerely, rend your heart and return, return, repent. What's repent mean? Change direction. Confession is I admit I'm guilty. I sinned. Forgive me. I'm taking ownership. I'm not blaming anyone. I'm confessing I did it asking God to forgive me, but that's confession. Confession in the Greek means to say the same thing. Amen? You don't re-identify it. I did it. I stole. I did it. I stole the money. I did it. I broke your window. I'm confessing. I'm being honest. I'm calling it what it is. So we confess our sins to God. But then we have to repent or turn away from those sins. You don't just put on an act. Please forgive me, for, and then keep going and doing the same thing. There's confession and repentance. Those are the two things. So, what did Joel say? Number one, we're going to tear our hearts, not just our garments. We're not just going to make an outward, oh, I'm sorry. No, no. We're going to be sincere and say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, I surrender. And then I'm going to return. I'm going to make the changes I need to make. I'm going to come here and weep and say, Lord, forgive me. I'm sorry. But when I leave here, I'm going to return to the Lord and turn from the ways I was going and what I was doing. And God says, if you'll do that, God says, I, I can restore, I can rebuild, I can—I mean, I mean—you know, you can start over life again halfway through when you give Jesus first place. Amen. He goes, I can begin to rebuild and restore. I can—I can make those years. I can restore blessing. I can restore purpose. I can restore fruitfulness. Oh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, God. Let me give you one more now. Just go with me. The same thought. Same thought, but I want to give you another New Testament one. 2 Corinthians 7. 2 Corinthians 7. This is important. I want you to see the New Testament thought here. Because James, again, he, he, his thought here is now react to sin with sorrow, don't take it lightly. You can't just be flipping with it. Sin put Jesus on the cross. And as believers, that's why we strive for holiness and purity and righteousness. And when we do miss it, we don't cover it up. We say, I'm sorry. We make things right. And then we make the change if we need to make the change there. And here, Paul in the New Testament, writing to the church, he's going to talk about there's a godly sorrow and there's a worldly sorrow now godly sorrow i am sorry that i broke the heart of god i grieved god i disappointed god because i love god and i feel bad when i sin i don't want to sin i don't want to miss the mark amen but worldly sorrow i'm just sorry that i got caught i'm sorry that i have to endure some consequences of my decisions i don't really care about god i care about me you know, that's why you get a person to make a big enough jam, you could lead them into any kind of prayer you want. They're just desperate. You know, those people that, take my kids away from me, they're going to do that. I've seen people in me, you could lead them any prayer you want. But many of them, it was just worldly sorrow. You give me some sympathy, give me some help. I'm a mess. They brought it on themselves, but there's never, forgive me, Lord. Forgive me, Lord. There's nothing like we see in the prodigal son where he comes back and he says, I did it. I'm not even worthy, Father. You you know, there's nothing there, you see. And so Paul is dealing with this difference. In fact, um, godly sorrow, 2 Corinthians 7, and look at verse 10, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. It's really godly sorrow, you'll change it. This repentance is turning. I'll, I'll turn. When there's real godly sorrow. You see. And it leaves no regret, because at the end, God is full of mercy. And once you get with God, he cleanses, he washes, he restores, he heals. Oh, man, God, God is he's so great. But, but worldly sorrow brings death. But there's just no change. There's no humbling. There's no surrender. So there can be no real cleansing. There can be no real forgiveness. Hallelujah. Again, godly sorrow brings repentance. That leads to salvation. Leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Oh, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right. Let's, we're going to finish that up for tonight. Let's finish this up. One more. One more. Do I have that one more? Yeah, yeah, one more. A- Amos 6 and 6. Amos 6 and 6. So I want to get back a little bit to the blessed are the um, they that mourn. Blessed are they that mourn. Amen. Because if, if I know, I look around, and I've got a good number of people that are here that come out to prayer meeting. And I know others, you're people of prayer. And, and one of the, if I call it, not, not a gift to be the wrong word. Um, one of the characteristics of an effective intercessor is someone that has a heart that is in sync with God's. They'll weep as God weeps. They'll groan as God groans. Amen. The the, the prophet, what always got the prophet in trouble is that his heart was in sync with God. Everyone thought he was over-exaggerating. Everyone thought he was a little too much, but actually... What he was—he was a little too close to God, where he was feeling God's hurt, and he was seeing. So, uh, again, and so one of the most important things—if you want to be a person of prayer—that sees answers, you say, "Lord, grip my heart with what's gripping Your heart. Give me Your compassion. Move me with the things that are moving You. Don't let me just be unmoved by this around me. Lord, let me feel Your heart towards the lost. Let me feel your heart towards a church that's lost its way. Let me feel your heart towards those that are bound and struggling. Let me have that compassion in me. And here's this, one of the Old Testament verses in Amos. And he's dealing, this is where the, you get that famous verse, woe to them that are at ease in Zion. All right? Woe to them that are complacent in Zion. And the prophet Amos is dealing with, I believe, here the northern kingdom and um, and they're they're prosperous in the natural but spiritually god says you're broke in the natural they're doing real well so you can't always judge things by the natural can you sometimes things a nation or a church can look real good in the natural but god's x-raying that hard amen and here during this time in israel's life they were very prosperous militarily actually they were doing pretty good they were pretty secure but God is looking deeper than the things man looks at. And he sees they're drifting away from his word and his law, and they're rejecting his ways. They're oppressing the poor. They're, 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 um, there's no justice in the courts. And the prophets would rail against these things. And so this is part of... Um, he says, you drink wine from bowl fills. I mean, you're blessed. Wine is flowing. You anoint yourselves with the best of ointments. But you are not grieved. You do not mourn for the affliction of Joseph. What what translation is that one up there? Give me another one. Give me the NIV. Give me another. Let's try another one. You're not grieved for the affliction. You're not grieved with the condition of so many that could care less if the gospel goes to all the world. That could care less if we had church or not, because they rarely come. When we look down and say, Lord, am I being grieved by the things that grieve you? Or have I just gotten calloused that nothing moves me? And prophet Amos is saying, listen, you you drink wine by the bowl fills. You use the finest of lotions, but you do not grieve over the ruin of Joseph or the northern kingdom. You don't grieve over the condition of the church. You don't grieve over so many that are lost and don't know God. And if you really want to be an effective prayer person, one of the keys the Lord, give me your heart. Because it's that compassion that really moves us to intercede and to groan and to cry out before the Lord. When we get that compassion for the lost, it'll move us to pray. It'll move us to turn that plate over. It'll move us to spend special times interceding and saying, Lord, open their eyes. Lord, wake them up. Lord, deal with their lives. May God give us his heart. May God give us his heart. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord. Give us pure hearts that we might see you, that we might know you, that we might walk close to you. And give us hearts, O God, that sense your heart, that feel what you're feeling towards the lost and towards the hurting and towards the oppressed. Let our hearts be gripped by your Holy Spirit, O God, And let that gripping move us to pray, to intercede, to stand in the gap, to cry out with deep intercessions and spiritual warfare, to make ourselves willing vessels that you can use to preach it, to teach it, to tell it, to go, to support, to lift up. Father, we pray, create in us a clean heart, renew right spirits within us. Give us hearts that hunger and thirst for righteousness. Give us hearts that are very sensitive to your heart. Tender and sensitive to your heart. Help us to have pure hearts, oh God. Pure morally. Pure as far as being unmixed. Let our hearts have no rivals in them. Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you that we can draw near to you. And you promised you will draw near to us your presence will draw near to us. You'll speak to our hearts. You'll fill us with your spirit. And Lord, in order to really enjoy that, help us to be men and women, pure hearts, clean hands. In Jesus' name and all God's people said,